One more time, let's give Jesus a praise this morning. Can we do that? It's a wonderful atmosphere to be celebrating Easter this morning. And I do feel the presence of the Lord in this place today. And I'm grateful for that. I know my Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so you are part of the reason that we can feel God's presence in this place today. Thank you for your praise and for your worship. You know, I was reading something the other day and it kind of caught my eye. I remember uh, growing up listening uh, to the top ten list every evening, uh, one of the more popular uh, night uh, night show host, I guess you'd have, and he always had a top ten list. And I ran across a top ten list of things that you'll never hear in church. Thought I might share that with you this morning. Ten things you'll never hear in church. One, hey, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. Two, I'm so enthralled, I never even noticed your sermon went 25 minutes over time. <laughs> Number three, personally, I find witnessing more enjoyable than golf. <laughs> Number four, I've decided to give our church the $500 a month that I've been sending to TV evangelists. <laughs> oh, the pastor likes that one. <laughs> Number five, I'll volunteer to be the permanent teacher for the junior high boys Sunday school class. <laughs> yeah, that never would happen. <laughs> Number six, forget the denominational minimum salary. Let's pay our pastor so he can live as good as we do. Oh, you might hear that around here. This is a generous church. Number seven, I love it when we sing hymns that I've never heard before. No. <laughs> Number eight, since we're all here, let's start the service early. <laughs> that is a good one. Number nine, pastor, we'd like to send you to this Bible seminar in the Bahamas. <laughs> and I, I, love number, I love number 10, best of all, the preacher preached so good, the choir didn't even get to sing. <laughs> Ten things that you may never hear in church. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. Some of you are going to find this verse to be quite familiar. But I promise you this is going to be a different Easter message. Maybe the strangest one you've ever heard. But I'd like to preach today on the day that death died. A biography of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for you to fully understand what I'm talking about this morning, it will be necessary for you to maybe use your imagination a little bit we're going to talk today uh, about death in terms of death being a person. Oftentimes, uh, death is imagined as the grim reaper, the uh, dark cloak and the ominous uh, reaper in his hand and is often seen as either the death angel or the grim reaper. 
But if we look in our Bibles, we can actually see and learn about when death was born. I believe you can almost pinpoint the exact date of death's birth. It was conceived in Adam and Eve's temptation and birthed the moment that they sinned. Scripture records the birth. By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So the parent of death is sin and the grandparent of death is Satan. And again, Scripture tells us that whosoever committeth sin is of the devil. So on the day that Adam fell to temptation and sinned, there was a baby born. And that baby was death. And from that time till this time, death has manifested. You know, it didn't take death very long to get busy. Matter of fact, as we begin to read the word of God, we find that Cain slew, murdered, and killed his brother Abel because he was jealous of God's attention. And this is the first recorded death in history. And death was literally just getting started because from that point on, according to biblical history, we only have a very few who ever escaped death. We read about one man, his name was Enoch, and he had this testimony that he pleased the Lord. And the Bible says he was not, for God took him. And so somehow Enoch was translated or raptured into the presence of God. And so Enoch, well, there's no recorded death for Enoch. And then we all know the story of Elijah and Elisha and how that Elisha continued to pursue the prophet, even though the prophet of God kept trying to leave him, you know, leave him behind. Why don't you stay here? But finally they went through, you know, Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho and they came to this place and the Bible says that a chariot of fire divided them asunder. And Elijah was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. And we have no recorded opportunity for the death of Elijah and Elijah. But really, when you look at the story of Noah's Ark, this is what impresses me. We tend to think in terms that we really have it together nowadays and that society... Uh, as we see it today, has evolved to some really high level. But actually, as we begin to study the pre-flood, they had a tremendous amount of technology. I mean, they had such uh, ability to build and to construct things that the Bible says that God had to go down and confound their languages because there would be nothing impossible for them. And think about what their goal was. They said, we're going to build a temple all the way up to heaven. That's a pretty high and lofty goal. We think the skyscraper is a new invention. But actually, as scientists are discovering, they're, dis they're discovering two very interesting things. One, this is a very young planet. All this stuff about carbon dating in millions of years is ridiculous. There are over 100 geological clocks that prove that our planet is less than 10,000 years old, which for those of us that are Christians, that kind of fits our faith that God created this place. Amen. About 7,500 years ago, amen, God created the heavens and the earth. But not only is scientists starting to uncover that this is a very young planet, but they're also seeing that there's a huge division. There seems to be a point in time where that man's knowledge was very high and very uh, advanced, even to the point where it's confounded scientists to understand the metallurgy of some of the artifacts that were discovered pre-flood. 
when we look at any of the uh, information that is pre-flood, man explains it by saying, well, there must have been aliens that came down and gave them this technology because they couldn't have had it. But actually, we've just failed to even realize the level of knowledge and information that man had achieved when God decided to come down and say, listen, we're going to destroy man because of his wickedness, and we're going to start over again with Noah and his family. According to the Bible genealogy, one billion people existed on the planet during the time of the flood. Think about that. There's less than seven billion on the planet today. That's not strange math. We just take what the Bible tells us about who was born, and then we begin to multiply that based on how many people were born, and assuming that they continued at about the same rate during that period of time. And you can find there's just shy of one billion people on the planet when God saves eight people and destroys the rest. And so we don't know the kind of technology and information that was available pre-flood. All we know is that everything we tend to discover and uncover from that period of time over 5,000 years ago when the flood did happen, hey man, their technology seemed far advanced compared to ours. And they have pictures and it looks like they're wearing helmets and it looks like they're working at keyboards. And of course, you know, like I said to someone who doesn't know the word of God and doesn't realize that it was God's purpose to slow this onslaught of information. Amen. A matter of fact, the book of Enoch tells us that it was not even God's will for man to have that information at that time, but fallen angels gave it to mankind trying to destroy God's prophetic calendar but God set it back with the flood and when he did death harvested almost one billion souls I mean this is a remarkable thing and yet at the same time there were different times where there seemed to be a setback I mean uh, Hezekiah was dying and he prayed to the Lord and God added 15 years to his life I'm sure that must have frustrated death I can only imagine it was a disappointing time when the death angel was loosed in Egypt and he had to pass over all of the houses that had the blood applied to the doorpost. Have you remember that story? That was probably a bad night for death. You know what I'm saying? Just coming back saying, well, what about the Israelites? Well, you know, we couldn't touch them because of the blood that was over the door. We didn't have any power there. And then I can only imagine when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fiery furnace, how he must have felt when they didn't burn up. That must be frustrating for death to have to deal with things like that, knowing there was a fourth man in the fire that saved them. But even many of those stories, really, death was not, it was not conquered. It was, it was just delayed. It was put off. Hezekiah did die. and The three Hebrew children eventually died. And Daniel, even though he went into the lion's den and cheated death that night, eventually went on to be with the Lord. And so it seemed that death was pretty much having things in hand and had mankind pretty much afraid. Afraid so much so that you'd be amazed what people will do because they're afraid to die. I mean, just anything to try to prolong their life, even though the Word of God says that a man can't add an inch to his stature and he cannot add a moment to his life. We still try, don't we? Vitamins, exercise. You know, don't you always feel bad for that person that's out jogging and they get hit by a bus? I mean, talk about being ripped off. I mean, here I am. I'm sitting at home eating a donut. 
drinking a cup of coffee, probably some kind of really strong, bold Sumatra. Not good for you. Got a little heavy cream in there, a lot of sugar, eating a donut, and there they are out there just jogging, just doing everything they can. They're going to add time to their life, and then here comes, you know, here comes a greyhound. Death reaches out and got you. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of sad when you see that. It's amazing. How many times have you seen people? I remember dealing with that myself, people that seemed the picture of health, people that lifted weight and pumped iron and, and were fit and healthy, and then the doctor tells them they have cancer, and there ain't nothing they can do. They can lift weights all day long. Lifting weights don't cure prostate cancer. pancreatic cancer amen the bible says we have an appointment with death doesn't it and death is real you know i saw something in baltimore it painted on the side of a building it says only three things in this world that you can count on death taxes and cal ripkin jr of course, if you're not a Baltimore fan, you don't even know who he is. But, you know, he set the record for playing the most games in a row as a professional without ever missing a game. He did so for years and years and years. And so they had a life-size picture of him. And the world, I just thought that was interesting. Three things you can count on. Death, taxes, and Cal Ripken Jr. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Especially now that Cal's retired, we're down to two. Death and taxes. <laughs> That's, a, that's kind of a really sad commentary. You know, I mean, he's, he's out of baseball. He don't even play anymore. And so we're, we're down to two. But that's how consistent death has been. You know, when death goes along, I believe, virtually unthwarted. Amen. Yes, there was a fourth man in the fire, but eventually he got him. But then when death must have found out that God was born in the flesh. Death must have sought to himself. Now that's my arena right there. I have power over the flesh. Ever since sin came into the world, death and sin has brought decay. The Bible talks about ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And we are in a, we're in a body that it's aging. How many of you can say amen to that? I mean, we fight that aging. We do what we can. We got a little oil of Olay or whatever, you know, working on that a little bit. If you got the money, you might have a little nip, a little tuck. But it doesn't change the fact you just get, you're getting older. You know, I mean, I've had that conundrum in my life before where you see a gray hair in the sink and you don't know what to do. I mean, yeah, it's one less gray hair, but it was a hair. And at some point, you just hate to see any of them go. You know, my wife used to reach over and just kind of, you know, I'd have just a few gray hairs and she'd pluck one of them gray hairs out of my head. And finally I said, listen, honey, whatever I got, I'd like to keep gray or not. We're aging, we're getting, you know, and everything is decaying. That's the, that's the cons, that's what sin brought to this world was decay and rot and rust and theft and, and all of these things, amen, that, that, that represent death in some way. But then Jesus comes along, and I'm sure that he thought, well, this is my opportunity 
Amen. To really bring victory. I'm sure that Satan said, death, death, we have a plot and we have a plan. And if you read your Bible, it's quite fascinating that over 18 different times they plotted to kill Jesus. Did you know that? Study the Gospels and you will find 18 different references to the fact that they plotted or mentioned that they wanted to kill Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, death was on overload. If I could just get my hands on him, I believe we're going to win. But have you realized that if the devil knew then what we know now, he'd have never touched Jesus. He didn't realize, amen, the fact that God had set this up and that death was part of the plan. And so according to the word of God, amen, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Amen. He lived, and as he began his ministry, oftentimes the religious would plot to kill him. I mean, they would seek to stone him. They would even go out with a plan to deceive him and try to get the mob and the crowd to turn against him. They used to ask him crazy questions. Have you read that in your Bible about some of the questions? Well, you know, if a man had a brother and uh, he was married and then he died and his wife married his brother, which is the custom, and then he died and then he, he married the other brother. And basically they go through five brothers, which obviously it's a very sickly family. This poor woman married five different brothers. I can't even imagine going through that. Can you imagine marrying five brothers? But anyway, she marries five brothers. Then they all die. Who is she going to be married to in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, they sat around and thought that question up. Of course, Jesus told them, you know, that we're going to be like the angels and there's not going to be marrying and giving in marriage in the kingdom of heaven. There's neither male nor female in the spirit. And they really didn't know what to say to that, see, because he had too much wisdom and insight and they couldn't argue against him. And so they couldn't come up with a reason to kill him. But finally, finally Judas came along and Judas says, I can give you the evidence you need to get Jesus. And Judas probably thought in himself, I'm only going to motivate Jesus into action. I'm going to force Jesus to do what we've wanted him to do all along as his followers and overthrow Roman oppression. Judas thought he was starting a war. He thought he was taking matters into his own hands and he was going to get Jesus, amen, into a position where his followers would rally around him and, and eventually, you know, they would overcome. But how do you know Jesus didn't come to deal with the Roman problem? He came to deal with the sin problem. And see, that's good news because there's a whole lot of folks today, amen, they're in churches where the only thing Jesus does for them is save them from hell. Have you been to that church? Every Sunday you get saved again. They give an altar call. They preach the same gospel, and it's a wonderful, precious gospel that they preach, but it's all they ever preach. And every Sunday, people get saved. And if, you, if you've already been saved and had a good week, then you have to get saved. But, you know, if you messed up this week, then you can come down and get saved again. And now you've got fire insurance, and you're saved from hell, and you're not going to burn. Well, how do you know that what Jesus came to save us from was not hell but sin? Well, that's kind of important, you see, because hell is only part of what sin brought into the world. The punishment of hell, amen, is only part of what uh, the door was open. Amen. Jesus came and conquered death, hell, and the grave. Can anyone say amen to that? And if he came to save us from sin, then that means not only that, he's given us power over sin. So not only can God forgive sin, but through the power of the cross, we can be freed from sin. Now, here's a crazy concept some of you may never have heard before. Amen. But it's the concept that Jesus Christ can set you free from yourself. It's quiet in here. Praise I know we live in a society where it's only appropriate to tell everybody how wonderful they are. You're, 
you're, you're, you're, well, you're smart, you're intelligent, and doggone it, people like you. <laughs> I mean, that's the world we live in today. Amen. We're, we're told that all we need to do is tell our children just how wonderful they are and just how perfect that they are. And everybody's told we need to build up one another's self-esteem. But the, the Bible actually says that people are born sinners and that their righteousness is as filthy rags. That if we're born a sinner and that if we don't uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ and he hasn't washed us from our sins, then we're pretty nasty. And I, I, I realize it's Easter Sunday morning, so everybody's dressed nice, and I may not get a whole lot of amens this morning, but I'd just like to preach here a second and remind people that if it wasn't for Jesus, we all got issues. Oh, I know you sitting there acting like you was born cute and pretty, and you never had bad breath, and, and you never did anything nasty, and you never got sick, and you never threw up, and you never got drunk, and you never, got, you never had a bad hair day. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about sin. The fact that when we're born, you don't have to teach your children to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. We're born with that rebellion, with that sin inside of us. And yet Jesus came that he might save us from our sins. So if he can deliver us from sins, what happens? Hey, man, we don't, we don't have to be nasty. We don't have to be liars. We don't have to be cheats. But we can be full of the Spirit of God and love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and temperance and faith. You see, the failure of the church today is the fact that we've sold everybody fire in church, but we haven't got them set free from sin. But a people that are set free from sin are filled with the Spirit of God. And if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen, I'll tell you what, deep inside of every one of us, we know we're better than that. Amen, whenever we do something wrong, our conscience compels us to change and be transformed. But we don't have the willpower to do it. But thanks be unto God, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the power to overcome. Through what Jesus taught us in his word, amen, thank God we can be born again. And now we don't have to listen to the old nature, we can listen to the new nature. And the new nature is a nature of faith and love and power and dominion and authority and blessing and prosperity. Amen. If we could understand everything that was purchased, amen, death is completely out of the picture. Someone said to me one time, what could really happen to change this world if we really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? That is really what it comes down to. The Bible tells the story about how John came Amen. And immediately, amen, the others, maybe they were still questioning, but the Bible says John shouted, he has risen. John was the quickest to believe. Amen. He began to realize this is what Jesus prophesied when he said, if you tear this temple down in three days, I'll build it back again. He wasn't talking about the natural temple. Amen. There on the mountain, he was talking about the temple of his body. That's what he came to deliver us from. He delivered us from a, from a tabernacle religion and made us the tabernacle where that now our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and God is with us and even in us and the life and power of God. God is, that is within us empowers us to overcome sin. Have you know that? Praise the Lord. Have you think that's kind of important? Praise the Lord. Somebody said, well, I know he, I know he forgives me of my sins. Yeah, but he doesn't leave you a sinner. How do you think that's the good news? 
What good would it be if he just came down, forgave us our sins, and then just waits for us to mess up again, and then he's going to forgive those? What's Where's their power in that? Where's the power? This is power to be changed, to be transformed. That's why that John the Baptist said, I'll baptize you in water, but there's one that's coming after me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Somebody shout fire. I didn't hear that. Shout fire. <clears throat> fire represents purification. Fire represents, amen, when something is, when metal is placed in the fire, <clears throat> you can start with something that's pretty good. And that's what we have in America today. Hey, man, we have good old boy religion. How do you know what good old boy religion is? Well, he was a good old boy. Let's, send, let's preach him into heaven. <clears throat> I was talking to someone the other day. I said, Man, I tell you, I had a friend. He passed away. He was a he was a good old boy. I just know he's going to be in heaven because he's a good old boy. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say anything about good people going to heaven. The Bible says saved people go to heaven. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> what is the difference? What is the difference? Why 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 believe in Jesus? Why not why not be a Buddhist or a Muslim? There's a lot of good teachings in the Quran. There's a lot of good teachings in, in Buddhism. A lot of nice stuff, you know, don't step on the ants and respect the cows and everything. It's, it's good. It's good stuff. But why? I've even seen people recently say that Christianity is not the highest standard for morality. Now, I noticed that they ch choose to pick one verse out of the Bible that says, <coughs> you know, do unto others as you've had them do unto you. And that's not the highest standard of morality in Scripture. The highest standard of morality in Scripture is to love your enemies. Isn't that the, what the Word of God says? Don't just love yourself and don't just love your neighbor, but love your enemies. And that is the highest standard of morality in any of the major religions. But why believe one over the other? Well, I think if you just go back to when... God selected his chosen representative. All of the tribes sent a representative saying, listen, we want to be the Levites. We want to be the ones that represent you to God. And so they said, well, how will we choose which one is which? And God told him, he said, go get a dead stick. Go cut a limb from a tree and take that dying limb and lay it before each one of the main representatives of the tribe. And the tree that comes to life again after being dead, that'll be my high priest. Isn't that in the word of God? And the, and the tree that was placed before Levi budded and came to life. And they knew this was to be the one that would represent God to them. And, you know, I thought the other day, that's an incredible picture of all these religions in the world. There's probably good in every religion. There's probably something good in every one of them. But if you go to the tomb of Muhammad, Muhammad is there. And if you go to the tomb of Buddha, Buddha is there. The only one that has come to life again and should be the divine representative of God to us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you believed that he has risen? Come on, church. Give God a praise right now because he has risen.
And so it must have been a gleeful day for death when Jesus Christ was crucified. I mean, when he was beaten on his back, 40 stripes save one. When he was when nailed to that cross, and then it was dropped into the ground and it tore the bone and the muscle and the sinew. When he hung there, mocked and ashamed, Death must have rejoiced. But my Bible tells us that after Jesus Christ was laid into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, that they came to the tomb early that first Easter morning. And I'm telling you, this is kind of a powerful representation. If nothing wakes you up today, I remind you that Jesus did say, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll build it up again. And we know he was talking about his body, but how often do we see such strong prophetic parallels in Scripture? Where a day with the Lord is as a thousand years as a thousand years is as a day. And it's been 2,000 years since the temple of God has stood on the temple mount in Jerusalem. And yet we hear stories about how that they are preparing the artifacts for the temple because the Jews are believing that it will be restored. It's fascinating to me that Netanyahu, who is now again leading Israel, when he was a teenager, wrote an article in college And he stated that the, the, the Christian messianic view of the restoration of the temple could never happen because there is no Sanhedrin court. For 1,500 years, the Sanhedrin court ceased to exist in the world. And without the Sanhedrin court, they could not bless the site where the temple would be built. And so therefore, it could not be rebuilt. And yet, three years ago, the Jewish people came together and restored the Sanhedrin court. You know, Jesus rose on the very earliest part of the third day. I mean, really, when you think about it, Friday to Sunday, it's barely into the third day, just barely. And you have to look at the Jewish view of the day to even understand how that we're in the third day. The earliest part of the third day. Well, you know, I believe that if we look at a calendar, we're coming up on now beginning the third 3,000-year period, the third day. And it was in the earliest part of that third day that Jesus rebuilt the temple of his body. Wouldn't it be something if there's a spiritual parallel and we are that close to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem? Meaning Jesus is coming soon and everything that he said is about to be fulfilled. Think about that just a moment. Think about it. This Bible that prophesied that Israel would be gathered again from all the nations. This Bible that from Daniel we read that there will be eight great world persecutions against the Jew and Hitler was number seven. 
the eighth will be the Antichrist himself. That Isaiah said that when they return to their homeland, they will be speaking the language of their fathers. The Hebrew language had not been spoken for over 1,600 years until they made it a law that if you want to return to the new homeland of Israel established after World War II, you must learn to speak Hebrew. And now Hebrew remains the only ancient language ever recovered fulfilling a 2,800-year-old prophecy that they would be speaking that language when they came home. All I'm saying is that even in the resurrection of Jesus, there's strong prophetic evidence that he's coming very soon. Very soon. I talked to a preacher just this past year who's been there and spoke to the curator of the museum who is responsible for rebuilding all the implements of worship. They believe that the tabernacle will be built. A matter of fact, the big issue has always been the mosque of Omar and the fact that it is the second most holy Muslim place on the planet. And there's no way the Muslims would let them tear it down without there being a war. But recent discoveries have pointed to the fact that the mosque of Omar is built on the other side of the mountain and that they could build the new tabernacle without tearing the mosque down. If they can obtain a peace accord, they could begin construction any day. That was always the major issue. But now new archaeological evidence, now more of the leaders of the Jewish people are saying no, The actual tabernacle, which is not that big. If you read in Scripture, it's really not that big. It was very elaborate, but not very big. There's room to put it on the mountaintop in the spot that they believe it originally was where they could begin to sacrifice again and honor God according to their traditions. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. And I know that he's coming soon. I'm getting ready to close, but I want you to think about this. On the earliest part of that third day, the Bible says that they went to the tomb. And the stone that had been placed there had been rolled away. And the angel of the Lord said, he is not here. He has risen. Now, even though we know what happened that morning, we have to study Scripture to find out what happened during that period of time that Jesus Christ was dead. Because we know that the death of the body does not represent the death of the Spirit. Where did the Spirit of Jesus go during this time? Well, there are some really modern teachers today who are out there saying, well, Jesus went and he suffered hell. That's a ridiculous thought when we see what the Bible says about it. The Bible says that he made a show of the devil openly. Does that sound like he was suffering? Does that sound like Jesus was in hell tormented? No. I mean, hell had no power over Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the devil. Think about that. He took authority and power over death. Somebody said, well, I'm looking around and there are people that are still dying. Yes, but now, because the Bible says, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
amen, that we'll be free from this law of sin and death. When they came to the tomb of Lazarus, amen, Jesus tried to convince them that it was not too late, but they kept saying, Lord, if only you'd been here. And finally he said, don't you believe in the resurrection? And they said, well, yeah, we believe in the great resurrection one day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so what did our, what did our text say? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Amen. We still may witness some people who their body may die. Amen. And they may be buried in the grave, but the death and the grave have no victory over them because Jesus lives, they live. Amen. Death is now a portal through which we pass from this life into our eternal reward. And that's why the Bible says we're not as those who have no hope. I'm grateful for that. I've stood by the graveside of loved ones and I can't imagine what it must be like to stand there with no hope, with no belief, with, no, with, with, with nothing to look forward to. But thanks be unto God because of Jesus. If they knew the Lord, then they are in our future and they're not in our past. And we don't have to grieve like the world grieves. And death doesn't have that power over us anymore. Yeah, we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we fear no evil because the Lord is with us. Because He lives, we shall live also. This is the hope upon which we build our future, the confidence upon which we stand today and proclaim the name of Jesus above Muhammad, above Buddha, above all other prophets and all of our teachers. For He alone has risen from the dead and conquered death. And I don't fear death anymore. I can stand today as I have in times past on foreign soil. Amen. With guns pointed at me and declare you can't kill a dead man. Are you listening to me? Amen. There's power in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody give God a praise today if you know and believe that Jesus Christ has conquered death. So the day that death died, listen to me, that was the day that death died. For all that it meant has changed. For it no longer can separate us from God. Nor can it separate us from the people that we love. I've been in church most of my life and I can remember back when they would sing those old songs about will the circle be unbroken. I remember Brother Ishmael Hamilton, him and his family, one of them would stand. Usually he'd be the first one and he'd stand up and he'd say, See, there's a lot of Appalachians up there in northeast Ohio, come out of the mountains. Tell my mother I'll be there. And then his daughter would stand up and boy, could she sing. (laughs) And she'd start to say, Oh, Father, tell my brother I'll be there. And then their mama would stand up and she'd start singing it. She'd say, Oh, daughter, yes, till all your 
children that I'll be there. And they'd all start singing, will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by. Oh, for there's a better home calling in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Have you believed God with me today that the family circle will not be broken? That what God has done for you, He wants to do for you, for your children, for your children's children. Come on and give God a praise today if you know and believe. Hallelujah. I don't want to see that circle broken. Somebody help me just pray right now. Get up on your feet. Lord, 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 Lord. Tell my brother I'll be there. I can say, oh, God, tell Johnny I'll be there. See, some of you are here today, and you know your heart isn't right with God. You don't have that peace. But I'm here to tell you, amen, Jesus Christ has conquered death for you. I said, Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. There's nothing that you've done that he hasn't suffered enough to pay the bill. And say, listen, death, you can't hold them. Death, you can't have them. They're mine. I've purchased them with my blood. And all we have to do is receive it. He's done it all. He's paid it all. I said, he's paid it all. How sad to think. Listen, how sad to think that that circle is so often broken today. It's so often broken today. And we rob one another of the precious, precious peace. Oh God, you owe it to your parents to give them that peace. You owe it to your brothers and sisters to give them that peace. Don't, don't risk letting them stand over your coffin one day not knowing with nothing to base it upon. Hey Amen. You need to let that circle be unbroken. Bow your heads with me right now, saints of God. Oh, Father, I'll be there. Oh, Jesus, I call upon you right now today, Lord. Would you visit us here in this place? Would you walk up and down these aisles? Would you touch the hearts of these men and women? Would you call their name today, Lord? Would you call them out, Father? God, call their name today. Just like you called on Peter and John as they were fishing. 
Just like you saw Nathaniel under that fig tree. Just like you called Saul of Tarsus by name on the Damascus Road. Jesus, would you meet somebody today that that circle will not be broken, God. That that circle will not be broken, God. We refuse to put our faith in this world and we refuse to place it, Lord, in the philosophies of men. Our faith today rests on the fact that Jesus Christ has risen. And because he lives, we shall live also. Holy Spirit, call today. Oh, Holy Spirit, do what no man can do. Speak to the heart. Speak to the spirit, Lord. Let them know that, God, you have called them out of darkness into light. That Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 said, If we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised Christ from the dead, that, God, we would be saved. That's the key today. Do we believe that he rose? And if we do, what are we going to do with this Jesus? I'm asking today, Lord, let today be Resurrection Sunday for somebody who doesn't know you. Let today be Resurrection Sunday for a prodigal. who, Lord, the Father said, this is my son that was dead and now he's alive again. God, we thank you for it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. The saints of God are praying. This is just an old-fashioned altar call. Jesus loves you, my friend. And he's calling you right now. He's calling you to somebody in this room right now. He's saying, don't let the circle be broken. Don't let go of what you know to be the truth. Don't let the enemy pull you away from your foundation. If you're within the sound of my voice, as the prayer team comes and makes ready to receive you, if you need the Lord today, I want you to simply step out of your seat and come down here. Amen. Will you do that this morning? If you know the Lord is tugging on your heart, Will you come this morning? But don't let something hold you back, keep you from what God has for you. Today's the day to put your faith in him and in him alone. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. Son, daughter, today's your day to come. Brother, sister, today is your day to come. If the Lord has touched your heart, you feel like he's called your name today, would you do that? Would you slip out of your seat and just come and pray with us today? Accept all that he has to offer you. Will you do that? Precious Jesus. Precious Lord. Oh, saints, I just want you to pray with me right now. God, we just bind every obstacle. Lord, we bind pride and religion. 
Not any other foundation is sinking sand except to stand upon you and your precious blood. There comes a time in our life where we've got to humble ourselves before our God. Say, God, I cannot do it without you. This is that day for somebody. Lord, you're pulling on somebody's heart today. You love somebody enough today to hold this service right here and give them an opportunity to respond. And so, God, right now, we just pray, let your Holy Spirit have your way. Holy Ghost, have your way today. Give them the strength right now to receive what you have for them, God. Oh, precious Lord, we thank you for the glorious liberty of the children of God, for all that you have purchased for us. We declare that sacrifice is not in vain. Hallelujah. We accept it today. It is sufficient for our healing. It is sufficient for our salvation and for our deliverance. Almighty God, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This altar is open right now. I invite you to come. God's dealing with you. Amen. Step out right now and receive what God has for you. Amen. Let that weight be lifted. Let that sin be washed away. Hallelujah. Let the fear of death be forever defeated in your life, now and forever. If God's dealing with your heart, we invite you to come. Really felt that God was dealing with somebody. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, when I, I just felt that family circle. There's a member of your family here that doesn't know Jesus. Why don't you just ask him right now, would you like to come and pray with me? Don't send them down alone. Bring them down if they want to come. Pray with them. Agree with them. Amen. It's time for some of us to get back to our roots, to get back to the faith of our childhood, get back to that sure foundation. Hallelujah. When we're young, sometimes we think we're going to live forever, but as we begin to grow, we begin to realize, amen, that we're going to have to face it sooner or later. I'm not going to face it without the Lord. He's already conquered it in Jesus' name. It's already been conquered. It's already defeated. It's already been defeated. Sometimes we're worried about what we have to give up to come to Jesus. Man, when you get Jesus, you don't worry about all that stuff. Amen. You just don't know him well enough. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. He, He always gives us something better. If God's dealing with your heart. Amen. The rest of us, can we just lift our hands to the Lord for just a moment? And let's just thank him one more time for his resurrection power. I want Rachel to lead us in a worship song right now. And just let's just worship the Lord. While we worship, the altar is open.